November 1st, 2008. Standing at the altar of a Baptist church in Austin, Texas, I was awaiting the start of my first wedding. Life was going great, filled with optimism and endless possibilities. November 1st, 2008 was a very different day for me. I was going through my second divorce, and it was the day I moved out and started living by myself for the first time in my life. I was completely broken, terrified, and felt like my life was over. I'm a believer in Jesus who struggles with codependency, fear, and low self-esteem. My name is Julie. Hi, Julie. I was born in July of 1977 to two hardworking Christian parents who are still married today. I was happy to follow my older sister around and be just like her. I was very quiet and would hardly talk to anyone I didn't know out of fear. For this reason, starting school was difficult for me. I was teased by the other students for being quiet, which only made things worse. Eventually, I was threatened with swats as a way to scare me into talking, and it worked. After that, I made friends and things got easier, but not without being labeled as shy. To me, the shy label meant that I was inferior and incapable. My whole life, I have struggled with keeping that term separate from my self-worth, but I have learned that as God knit me together, he put that into my personality. It is good, and it has a purpose. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with fear, codependency, selfishness, anger, and pride. My name is Kevin. I was born in October of 1982 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. From the beginning, I was set apart by being the firstborn and only boy in a family of four kids. I grew up in a loving Christian home, attending the Greek Orthodox Church in downtown Tulsa. Growing up Greek had numerous memorable experiences, many of which were humorously depicted in the Big Fat Greek Wedding movies, which are documentaries, by the way. In high school, I was accepted into Booker T, where I ultimately completed an advanced academic program. However, rather than being satisfied with my accomplishment, I felt like a failure because I graduated number 29 in my class of 278 students, just outside the magical top 10% that colleges seek. The world told me I was good, but not good enough. Still, I was admitted to a top business school in Texas and began work on my degree. Grades came easier than friends in a school with over 52,000 enrolled students. So I joined a fraternity my second semester that gave me access to friends on demand and beer on tap. The summer before my junior year, I broke my left arm in a boating accident and was paralyzed from my elbow to my wrist. I had to withdraw from school to focus on my physical recovery. Looking back, I see that God was trying to get my attention, giving me an opportunity to be still and available to his instruction, but I wasn't ready. Instead, through the tireless work of my mother, a physical therapist, I was miraculously healed and restored to near perfect health and returned to school after only one semester away. However, this time it was different. And while I don't pretend to understand even a fraction of our veterans' experience, my return to school was like some of their stories returning home. 
Even though the people and the places were the same, I immediately felt out of place. During my time away, life for my friends had continued forward without me. Friends I regularly attended classes with were now a semester ahead of me. New inside jokes were told at parties, and I was the only one not laughing. Girls I had been pursuing to date were now in relationships and unavailable. I was out of step with the world around me. I had been left behind. When I was about to graduate from college, I met the guy who would become my first husband. I hadn't dated anyone in high school, and he was really the first guy to ever pay any attention to me. Being with him made my self-esteem go through the roof, so I chose to ignore the things that bothered me about him. Because he had been through a lot in his life, and I feared what he would do if I ended the relationship, I never considered it. We got married in September of 2001, and for a while things were okay, although neither one of us had grown up emotionally or had any idea what marriage was about. My husband had his own unresolved issues that came out in anger, and they began to wear me down. Our relationship felt superficial, and it was not what I envisioned marriage to be. I was envious of my married friends as if they had something that I didn't. It never crossed my mind that I wasn't happy, but I realized how I felt after someone pointed it out. That someone was one of my male coworkers. I could tell that he had feelings for me, which made me uncomfortable, but also seemed to fill that empty space in my marriage. He asked me if I was happy, and when I said yes, I felt like I had lied. I felt like something completely obvious to others had just been revealed to me, and I was clueless. Before long, my thoughts were consumed with him. I started to feel things for him that I had never felt for my husband. I found myself in the middle of an emotional affair, causing me to hide things from my husband and lie to him. The more I tried to ignore the feelings or distance myself, the worse I felt. I couldn't stand the thought of not being with him. I could see a future with him. In my marriage, I felt like I was going to be trapped with someone I didn't love for the rest of my life. So I prayed and prayed about this decision, asking God to make it clear to me what I should do. I finally chose to end my marriage, and I thought God had made it clear by the way I felt. I know now that I was basing my decision on my feelings, not on a clear answer from God. My final years at school were a blur of drinking, dating, and dysfunction as I attempted to reclaim my lost life. Upon graduation, I landed a great job with a big tech company. I found success and made a name for myself by taking on risky, high-profile assignments. As I climbed the corporate ladder, all my insecurities were replaced with a selfish ambition to stay in the spotlight of success. Within my first two years, I was promoted eight times, doubled my paycheck, and was ultimately offered an elevated role in an exciting new division. I was hooked. I spent the next four and a half years chasing a high as a workaholic, taking every advancement opportunity presented because it was either attached to a raise or the promise of greater professional exposure. I was completely consumed with professional advancement. The people around me were checkpoints on my route to glory. My relationships with others were transactional at best 
and disposable at worst. You are either on my way or in my way. After the divorce, I was in this new relationship, but I was carrying a tremendous amount of guilt and I never gave myself any time to heal. I was feeling the pressure to move in with him, which went against everything I believed, but I did it anyway. I was afraid of losing him if I didn't. From the beginning, this relationship had its issues. We fought all the time, and I carried resentment for the pressure I felt to end my first marriage. Eventually, we would make up only because things were swept under the rug and ignored. We were married less than a year later, and the fighting just continued. I learned to hide everything from everyone, and I was no longer the person that my husband wanted. Nothing about me was good enough for him, especially the fact that I was too quiet. He tried to make me someone I'm not, and I lost myself and became completely codependent with him, trying over and over to make him happy. Talk about insanity. I tried and tried to be whoever he wanted, but he wasn't happy, and I soon found myself in the middle of another divorce. I truly felt that another failed marriage meant the end of my life. I felt like my chance of ever becoming a mom was being taken away from me. I tried to convince him not to do this, but eventually all I could do was give up and give in to what he wanted. I kept crying out to God to heal my marriage, but I couldn't seem to find him. I didn't understand why he wasn't fixing this. I eventually stopped praying altogether because I no longer knew what to even pray for. How could I pray knowing how God feels about divorce and knowing that I didn't deserve anything from him? I had not gone to church in years. My focus was on living for my husband, not God. November 1st, 2008. I married a woman with similar professional ambition, but in a different industry. Early in our marriage, we learned that relocating was one of the best ways to increase our earnings and stature in our respective companies. We would spend nearly 50% of our marriage living in different cities as we chased our own careers. In the first four years of our relationship, we had 21 individual addresses in six cities across four states on two coasts. The problem with chasing a high is that reality becomes a disappointment. When I started coming down, I left my safe corporate job for an even bigger gamble as part of a high-tech startup. Three years into my new fix, everything was going according to my plan, or so I thought. I was the smartest guy in the room and wasn't shy about telling my business partners why I was the best thing that ever happened to that business. I was oblivious to the damage I was doing to every relationship around me as I basked in the glow of my own arrogance. After the shock wore off, I felt a strange sense of relief. But deep down, it was a relief to not have to hide anything anymore and pretend I was happy. One morning, I felt God speaking directly to me through a TV show. He was telling me to take responsibility for my own happiness and not look to anyone else to make me happy. I had to learn who I was and what I believed and not look for anyone else to define me. He showed me the importance of loving who I am. The point for me was loving myself is not dependent upon something outside of me, such as a husband. And if I don't love myself, how can I expect someone else to? 
Principle two says, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. It was at that moment that I could feel God revealing himself to me for the first time. Now I understood why I had so much fear about the future. My identity was in my husband, and I was losing that. I had no idea who I was apart from him. But for the first time, I felt hope because I could see the person God wanted me to be. He gave me the strength and courage to move on. It was one of the hardest things I have ever done. I had to learn to lean on God and reach out to him for what I needed. It wasn't easy and it was very lonely. I remember a specific night where I felt like I was the only person in the world sitting at home with nowhere to go on a Friday night. Little did I know, God was going to take care of my Friday nights. <laughs> in December 2008, I, I attended my first Celebrate Recovery meeting at Southern Hills Baptist Church. God was with me every step of the way. He used many people to encourage me to get involved. I was still scared about the future, and I had so many regrets. Where could I be if I had sought God's will and not made so many poor decisions? One verse that has been a comfort to me is Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has my future, and he has great plans for me. By now, my wife was a stranger who I would see every other weekend as she returned from her remote assignment in Chicago, Illinois. 1,100 miles away. Still, I was untouchable in my own mind until the day before our sixth wedding anniversary when I learned through an accidentally discovered text message that my wife was having an emotional affair with her boss. Half-hearted attempts were made to save the marriage, but within a few months, I had filed for divorce, quit my job, and moved back to my childhood home of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Alone, angry, and lost. I joined CR at SHBC in the summer of 2015 to try and find myself again. Step two says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I don't know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was pretty good at following directions, and so I kept coming back every week. Slowly at first, I started to notice changes, little things, like the peace that I would get after a short prayer between stressful meetings. As I worked the steps in my first step study, I started learning more about Jesus, not on an intellectual level, but on a real personal level. I started trusting God with bigger things, like buying a house here, something I'd previously ruled out, and starting to date after a divorce, which by the way, all first dates are awkward. God was preparing me for a new life by replacing my old nature with his own. God revealed one of his great plans for me in early 2016. One night at CR, I noticed a very nice-looking guy walk into dinner. <laughs> and later in the evening, I discovered it was the same person a mutual friend had already mentioned to me. Thanks, Jonesy. 
After a few months, we started dating, and on October 14, 2017, we said our vows on a beach in Jamaica, both of us knowing that this time would be forever. <laughs> With both of us having failed marriages in our past, Julie and I were very cautious and deliberate early on and throughout our marriage to talk about our thoughts, feelings, wants, and needs. Even though we were both in recovery and both working our own programs, making a marriage work is hard work. Counseling, step studies, accountability partners, and books were all part of creating and maintaining a healthy marriage. There is a direct relationship between the amount of effort you put into a healthy relationship and the amount of love and support you get back on the other side. Early in our marriage, Kevin and I started the difficult journey of infertility. Being that I was 40 years old when we got married, I was very ready to start a family. But after a few months and many tests, we were told that our chance of conceiving was only 5% and procedures like insemination and IVF would not increase our chances at all. This was heartbreaking to find out at 40 that I could not have children and likely had never been able to. I cannot describe how hard it is to watch everyone I know have babies seemingly very easily and not understand why I can't. Kevin and I agreed right away that doing any sort of fertility treatment was not the path for us. And when we decided this, we knew, that the God, we knew that the plan God had for us was adoption. I remember conversations Julie and I had while we were dating about having kids. I knew this was something that she had longed for, and I was excited to start a family with her as well. Being a father was something I had always wanted, but it just never happened. My ex-wife and I tried for a time, but it never worked for us either. Looking back, I now see this as God's way of protecting me by making me unable to have kids too. Had my ex-wife and I been successful in getting pregnant, we would have likely never divorced. The very thing that was now hurting Julie and me was the exact reason why we are together. Isn't it God's way to use an area of pain as an avenue of provision? Joel 2.25 says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. And boy, has he ever. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I trusted that God would allow me to get married again. And I knew I had to trust that he would also give us a child. We were so blessed to have so many people in our lives who were connected to adoption. The process is neither short nor easy, but God put people in our lives to help, guide, and most importantly, pray for us. I heard many times throughout this journey that when you hold your child for the first time, all the reasons for not being able to have a biological child and all of the no's we heard for years from potential birth mothers will finally make sense. And they were right. In late summer 2021, we were matched with our son's birth mother. And on August 21st, we welcomed Will Daniel Andrew to the world. (laughs) 
There are parts of his adoption story that are messy because every adoption begins with brokenness. It is his story and his alone to tell if and when he chooses to. But one thing we can say is this, he is 100% ours and he is the child God has chosen for us. We cannot imagine life without him. The process of adoption has taught me many things about God's nature. After all, God adopted every one of us. God wrote our story before our son, his birth mother, Julie or I were ever even born. He had planned our family from the beginning, but needed us to be ready before he would reveal it to us. Julie and I joke all the time about how we would have not have liked each other if we had met earlier in life. We needed to be prepared and seasoned first. We are thankful for God's perfect timing and are excited to see what he has in store for all three of us. If you're new here, know that recovery doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. Our marriage is not perfect. Things happen and we still make mistakes, stumble into old habits, and sometimes hurt each other. Step 10 says we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. CR has given us the tools and principles to live an imperfect but healthy life together. Start today, keep coming back, and we promise that God's plan for you will be revealed at the perfect time. Thanks for letting us share. Thank you for letting us share.